You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Bowtech Archery prides themselves on offering a bow for everyone. Whether you have a short draw length, a long draw length, pull 70 pounds or 40 pounds, you're a bow hunter or a target archer, they offer a bow that can be customized to fit your body type. On top of that, their deadlock technology allows you to fine-tune your arrow flight. Visit BowTechArchery.com and check out the SR350 and the CP28. Bowtech Archery, refuse to follow. The Houseman XP Podcast Network is taking you on the journey. Your host, Master Trainer Heath Hyatt, will combine his decades of experience as a houndsman and as a professional trainer that will light the path forward and make our packs lighter on this lifelong journey to become better hunters and houndsmen. There are no shortcuts, so lace up those boots and grab a dog leash. The journey begins now. Hey guys, The Journey on Houndsman XP is teamed up with Go Wild. Go Wild is a social media platform that was made for hunters by hunters. If you guys and gals have listened to any of the other podcasts that I've been on, you know what a huge outdoor enthusiast I am. I love being in the woods with my hounds. There's nothing more exciting than hearing the thunder of a spring gobbler. I love fishing for trout in the brooks and the streams, and I love being on the river chasing that ever-elusive fish of a thousand casts, the muskie. Go Wild is the place that I can post my trophies, hunts, and memories without being censored. But Go Wild is so much more than that. It's a place to share your stories, sharpen your skills, hone your tactics, get gear reviews, and shop for anything outdoors. When you make a purchase from the Go Wild store, everything is free shipping. Anything that you purchase anywhere in the country, no matter how big, free shipping. So go down to the show notes, click on the Go Wild link at the bottom, and get signed up today. And let's go wild. September, it's one of my favorite months. And it is because it's introducing us to my favorite time of the year, which is fall, which means hunting season, which means being out there with a lot of hounds. And it's a great month, especially in 2022 for Houndsman XP. We've got a lot going on. We are celebrating 1 million downloads in the month of September. And we're doing that in several ways. The first way is we've got a brand new website and you can find us at houndsmanxp.com. All the cool stuff is there. You've got a, a quick link to every sponsor that supports us. There are links to Patreon where you can find all kinds of free content for the month of September. That includes tailgate talks, pro tips, all of it. It's all on Patreon and you can find out how you can support us as well through our Patreon platform. We've got giveaways going on. We've got uh, free hats from Houndsman XP. We've teamed up with Dogs Are Treed. And uh, if you place an order and it is $200, 
after you use the discount code HXP 20% off, go in there and you fill up your cart. You apply the code HXP 20% off. If that order totals $200, we will ship you a free hat and a decal while supplies last and they are limited. So make sure you're getting your order in there and it has to be $200 before shipping. You're going to get a free hat and a free decal. Another giveaway we're having, we're, we're going to have the crowd guess the date. What, what is going to be the date that we're going to hit a million downloads? One million, that's a landmark for us. So you can go on to our social media platforms at Houndsman XP Podcast Group, I think. Or maybe it's just the Houndsman XP page. Go to both of them. We'd like to see you on both of them. Or you can find us on Instagram at Houndsman underscore XP underscore podcast. And put your guess of the date in there. If you guess the right date, you're going to be put into a drawing for a lot of cool prizes. Find that post in those social media platforms. It's got it all laid out there for you. Another giveaway we're doing for the month of September. Leave us a review. Some of you have already done it, but the pool's pretty uh, small right now, and you've got a great chance to win another cool opportunity for a prize package that we're going to draw for the month of September. We're also going to do our monthly Patreon drawing as usual and uh, just a lot of cool stuff. A lot of things happening at Houndsman XP. We're excited about it and it couldn't happen in a better month. September is like the warm-up month for all things hunting. So check us out. Make sure you go to houndsmanxp.com and check us out on social media. Leave us a review on Apple and then email a shot, a screenshot of that to lauren at lauren.houndsmanxp at gmail.com and uh you're in you're in the drawings that's all i got for you folks heath's got a great podcast and a great guest lined up for us let's get right down to it take it away heath today's episode of the journey we're gonna take another road trip and we're gonna head further south than we already are we're going to go to Middle Georgia, and we're going to have Ken Parker with us today. And Ken is a fire specialist for the Georgia Forestry Commission, so he takes care of all the fire stuff. Um, we're going to be diving in a little bit deeper to the Bavarian Hound, which Jeremy and I talked about a couple weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago. Um, Ken has got the inside scoop, and this is so interesting to me since... I'm training some of these dogs, which Ken and I talked about. We're doing the Hanoverian Hound. Um, we're going to let Ken tell us about that and how that coincides with the Bavarian. Um, so, guys, you deer hunters, you blood trackers, anybody that's tracking wounded game, um, you are going to enjoy this episode. Ken, how are things down in the south today? Hi, Heath. We're doing good, Uh Nice and sunny today, expecting a little rain, so uh, just uh, getting a little things tied up before the rain shows up, but uh, thank you for having us on today. Yeah, well, I bet the rain in your field of work is a good thing. Yeah, as a fire specialist with Georgia Forestry Commission, yeah, I mean, the, the rain is always good. It keeps the fires down. Uh, doesn't allow us to do a lot of prescribed burning, but uh, when it's rainy, uh, it allows me a lot of time to uh, take off and, and work the dogs and, and get out. So uh, I'm appreciative of the rain. Yeah. Um, you know, usually August, which I know we're into September now, but August here is normally really, really dry. 
Um, of course, our training season comes in for, for bear, our chase season. And it's usually pretty difficult for us um, because of just the, the environmental conditions and the dry weather. This year has been completely opposite. We have had thunderstorms and we've had rain, if not daily, every couple of days. And we've had some severe storms um, over the past couple of weeks. That, I mean, it's knocked power and everything out. So August has been a little different for us this year. Yeah, I mean, it is for us. Normally, we're we're dry this time of the year. Things are already getting a few few fires and uh, makes it tough working the dogs in the dry conditions. But uh, this year, it's uh, it's been really wet and uh, really good conditions for working. Yep. Both, both in person and the dogs. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, just, I, I mean, I'm sure y'all's humidity is twice as bad as ours, but it's enough to make somebody want to crawl up in the truck and get in the air condition here. So, Ken, tell us, um, you know, you told us what you do. Just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what you do, and tell us how you got into the Bavarian Hounds. Hey, uh, thank you. Uh, you know, I'm, I've been in the fire service for 30 years, and uh, that's, that's kept me in the outdoors, and I've always been in the outdoors. Uh, you know, Dad's had me hunting by the time I was 12 years old and uh, killed my first deer at 14. So, you know, it's just been a lifelong passion of mine to be outside. And uh, I was always the one that did the tracking. I mean, I just had the better eyes and, and stuff. So, you know, I did all the tracking when dad and I were hunting. And, you know, once I moved off, uh, dad needed a way to, uh, to track to recover his deer. And uh, he started messing around with a few different dogs. And his first one was a black mouth purr and, you know, this was, you know, 30 years, 35 years ago, and it was before blood trailing really got in as big as it is now. There really wasn't the groups to support you and learn, and we really didn't know. And so uh, the black mouth curve, JJ, he just, uh, you know, it just really didn't work out. Uh, it's too high strung. We didn't know picking of the dog, what kind of dog we really needed and, and the temperament. And so uh, the first Bavarian we got uh, was from Norway. Uh, was mm. Tigger uh, was his name, and he actually came from, he was from Norway with breeding out of Germany. And uh, we did some, some success with him and, and really, you know, we're starting to learn. And a couple of years after Dad did that, he, uh, he got three Bavarians from Poland. And he kept one, I got one, and... Uh, he imported the other one for, for somebody else in Florida. And that's really where my journey started. Uh, I, I, I just dove head first into it. I mean, it, it's for those that are just getting started. Oh, what a journey you're in for. Mm -hmm. uh, for, for those that, that are into blood trailing, you know what I mean? It, it turns into a passion and uh, that's, that's where I'm at now is I'm fully in, uh, in, engulfed in this this is what i do i go out and shoot my one or two deer and put them in the freezer and then i'm tracking for hunters but you know once i got my dog i started looking around to what what can i do how can i learn and uh, i reached out to john Jenny and uh, up in new york and and john you know introduced me to uh some the dd the vernon dutch drawtar uh club mm -hmm. and i started training with those and 
during that offered while I was doing that, I had the opportunity to meet a German judge uh, while we were testing and I was doing a 20 hour test and he asked me about what my goals were for the dog and for the breed. And I told him and he went back to Germany. He said, well, I'm good friends with several of the board members for the BGS. Uh, and that's the, that's the correct, uh, you, you'll, you'll see sometimes the Bavarians are called BMH, uh, Bavarian mountain hounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the true is, is BGS. Um, that's, that's the, the true, uh, acronym for it them and so what happened is is he went back to germany and within just you know like a year uh after a few emails back and forth i was in germany meeting with the club and next thing i know we've got a breed club set up i'm the chairman of the the group here in the united states i'm the only american judge uh whenever we have tests we have to bring judges in so once the ball got rolling it really took off uh, I had uh, initially with my first Bavarian uh, meeting with John, we actually, I was part of the, the foundation group for United Blood Trackers and was a board member for many years until I stepped down to focus on the, the, the Bavarians. And so since then, uh, we're slowly growing. Uh, we're all about protecting the breed. Uh, we're, we've only had three litters in, in 12 years, and that's due to some of the restrictions that we've had. And, and now due to COVID, we haven't had judges over here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that kind of brings you up to where we're at. I've, I've been, you know, trying to grow this, uh, group and trying to protect the dog at the same time. So, yeah, I, and I, I want to follow up right there, but I want to go back to your childhood. When you said you started hunting about 10 or 12, what was your what what were you hunting was it squirrels rabbits was it deer i mean what was your your game of choice back then i you know it was it was squirrel and deer squirrel and deer yeah i think squirrel that's kind of how we all start <laughs> right yeah i followed that around for for many times well you know dove field for many years i was the retriever mm-hmm. uh, until i'm old enough to to actually shoot a gun uh but then it was mostly uh squirrels and and, and deer right and when your dad started messing with the the black mouth curs, was that a common dog um, in your area at that time? No, really, I'm not sure how he even came up with the black mouth cur. It was uh, it was a grand champ. It was out of Grand Champion Squirrel Dogs out of uh, Mississippi, uh, and so it was a big runner. And again, like I said, we didn't know. We didn't know what we needed for for blood trailing mm-hmm. and come to find out that high energy, high drive, uh, dog was not what we needed, especially, and you know, they, there's a lot of guys that use black mouth curves and curves to great, uh, great success mm-hmm. being our first dog. That was not the dog for us. Uh, it just was too high energy. And we also just didn't know the proper training techniques to focus the dog. And that, that has come a long way uh, since we started. Yeah, yeah, I would say I would say so. And you're telling me little intricate details that I'm picking up, like the the high energy, you know, for tracking. And I know a lot of our guys out west they want a dog that's very slow and methodical and doesn't miss turns and you know is able to pick up those loses and stuff. So, I mean, I can visualize kind of what you're saying when you're talking about that. 
So, go ahead. On that, you know, there are aspects of tracking that in some places you have to be on lead and some places you can be off lead. Mm -hmm. A a location where you can have an off lead dog, a big runner like that that's going to cover some ground is great because there are, even though I'm I'm in a state, Georgia, you can work off lead. Mm -hmm. My location being around a lot of urban areas I don't let my dog off lead very, very seldom do I let them off lead just because of the likelihood of being on somebody else's property, crossing the road, you know, just too many dangers out there. But in South Georgia, you know, where there's thousand acre, you know, farms and the next acre, the next farm is a thousand acres or more. You can be, let a big dog run like that and they can, you know, run down a deer that's leg shot or you know hide back or something like that so there are advantages to it you just need to know what type of tracking you're going to do what situations you're going to be in because i've got calls locally that if there's enough room and it's a leg shot deer i'll call some friends up that have big runners and let them track it and at the same time if they get on small tracks where they're worried about uh getting off off property or they're gonna have to be really controlling of their dog they'll call me because I'm on lead. Mm-hmm. So knowing your location and fitting, fitting your tracking situations and the type of dog is, is very important. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I, we use certain dogs for certain things too in the, the law enforcement side of it. So it, that completely makes sense. So let's go back to, let's start back at um, the guy in New York. You said you got your first one from Florida. No, no, dad imported uh, three from Poland. From Poland. He kept, yeah, he kept a female, I kept a female, and a, a gentleman in uh, Florida kept a male. Oh, okay, that's what I heard. So you, y'all you got two females. Did they, was there some type of agreement or contract on where you could not breed those or they had to be spayed because they were females? No, um, we actually made some contacts in Poland. Uh, you know, for many years, we used them to help other people import dogs before we got the club started. But there was no requirements uh, for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, they were, I mean, we learned a lot. And so early on, we did not realize that, you know, I think the, the, the breeding for my, my dog that I had, my first one, the female, the the sire was a show dog and the dam was a uh a working dog mm-hmm. now she she was a great tracker but since then i've i've learned what the german club is what the rules are uh how they they uh breeding standards why they test that kind of stuff and i understand that you know that would that was not an acceptable dog to them because one half of the breeding was a show line and and not a working line. And that would not be allowed in the, the bloodline that you have today, correct? I, that's not allowed in the club at all. Ah, uh, okay. All dogs that are used for breeding must be tested to the mm-hmm. same standard. And if you go, you know, as far back as you want to look in the pedigrees, all the dogs have passed the same test. And what that does is just ensures the likelihood of getting a good working dog. Yes. And mm-hmm. so, so it's, 
and you know they're the germans are have a standard but that standard is not always has to be exactly this or exactly that i've seen you know shorter dogs that are thin i've seen a little bit heavier dogs you know a little bit taller i mean they have a range but what they're looking for is the overall workability of the dog and that has really opened my eyes to you know what they're looking for because when you know we're talking about tests here in a minute uh some of the things they test for i i didn't understand why we were testing for them because really what does it have to do with the nose but the more and more i learned about the breed the more i understood why you tested and so yeah when when you look at the standards and the puppies that are produced you know they're looking to improve the breed with every breeding and so every dog that's used for breeding must pass the same test mm -hmm. yeah so well, that puts them on an even playing field too correct yeah i i mean it, it's i would say that that you know you have i mean I, when i was in germany for test uh, to become a judge you know i got to see some dogs that didn't pass and some dogs that just were exceptional and so what they do when the breeding program is they will look at a dog that's tested um, and we'll go over that in just a minute but they look at the overall dog and then they'll look at the confirmation and they will look at say all right this is a little bit bigger dog well we don't need to breed it to a big dog we need to breed it to a little dog or this dog has a little bit thinner uh, undercoat so we need to breed it with a dog that has a really thick coat. And this dog is, you know, a little bit taller, so we're going to smaller. And, you know, so they, they're looking at that. There's a breed warden, and, I mean, they're basically geneticists. You know, the way they look at these pedigrees and the test results, and then they say, you know, you can breed this dog to that dog, and, and they're choosing or they're approving what dogs can be bred. That's a big difference from what we do here in the United States as a whole. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they want to make sure that every breeding ha is at least the standard or at least the acceptable working, if not bettering the breed with every breeding that you do. And that's, that's our goal, to protect the dog and to make sure that, that good working sound dogs are produced so all right i want to talk about the test but first i want to talk about how you were able to become a judge like tell us the process tell us what that required and you know what what that took for you to, to be able to do that well you know being the only american judge there was no ability here to uh follow anybody or do anything so i had to go to germany and multiple trips and there's what i had to do was follow a a test work with the judges that were there and it's basically an apprenticeship mm -hmm. and so you you give your opinion about how the track went uh the different uh, aspects of the test and what you would score and then the judges will say what they would have done and they'll ask you questions back and forth and, you know what what were you why did you think this that well this is the reason why we're do, why we we said this score and so you do that multiple times but each test 
you have to write a report, an in-depth report on one dog, how the handler worked, how the dog worked, what was their interactions, what you saw. So you do that through multiple tests. Mm-hmm. And then there is a, where you have to do it on a live real track. And so you have to do that twice. And once there has to be a track with a recovery, and then there has to be a track with a chase and recovery. And that can be tough. Uh, you know, there's sometimes that uh, judges spend, you know, two years, maybe even three years trying to get on a track that there is a chase and a recovery because, you know, they're not always is there another judge to go with you or, you know, it's a good shot and the, and the animal runs, you know, couple of hundred yards, you know, thousand yards, whatever, and it's dead. Well, that happens a lot. And so that chase is a hard thing to get. And the very first track I went on, we went, I don't know, probably somewhere along five kilometers and ended up with a chase on uh, a big boar and finished him off. And that was my very first attempt and everybody looked at me like you are so lucky, uh, because it just doesn't it just doesn't happen that way. So ex- and, explain the chase, like, and I, and I just want to make sure I understand what, when you say the chase means the deer, the the animals jumped and goes to a secondary location where where it passes away. What what are we talking about? Um, all right, so in Germany, for those that have never been, the, the forest is very clean. It's not like our forest. Mm-hmm. And so we're tracking along, tracking along, and we finally get to this little bottom and it's, it's thick. And, uh, we were after a big Kyler, which is a, is a large, uh, boar. And the judges were like, release the dog, release the dog that, that he's in there. And so what the, the handler did is he stopped his dog. He unleashed his dog. And he told the dog to search through there. And so at that point, the dog's off leash searching, and he goes through this bottom. And sure enough, he kicked the hog out of there, the, the, the pig. And the, the chase was on. He ran around trying to get him bait up. And finally, the handler was able to put a finishing shot on the, uh, the, the board. And okay. so that's what we mean by chase. It's, it's, it's the animal is, is wounded, and because they will – if there's blood, they track it. Even if you think it's just a grazing shot, they're going to track it until they are confident that the animal is going to recover or, you know, they just exhaust it all possible means. They, they put that much effort into covering name over there. And so, so yeah, you had to have, you had to have the chase and I got lucky on my very first attempt. Mm. Now, how many, so, cause when I went through my master trainer process for the law enforcement, I had to do the same thing you did. I had to acquire hours. I had to go under multiple master trainers just to get my trainer status. Then I had a three-year wait period. So during that three-year period, I had to run some schools, had to cert, um, help certify a certain amount of dogs. And then once I got that done, I was able to acquire more hours before I could even test for the master trainer. So what kind of time period and what kind of um, – what kind of process was that? Like how long is there a certain amount of hours or a certain amount of trials you go to or, or not trials, but, um, 
certain amount of um, dogs you have to follow. Like I have to do, um, I had to I had to train six dogs from green, which means they don't know nothing, to certification level. So what was yours like during that? So the first thing you do have to have at least run the run a dog through the test, mm-hmm. and I had run a two twenties and a forty hour track uh, uh-huh. with my dog. So I, I met that criteria. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I had to, I, I flew out to Portland um, to take a. Uh, it's basically an introduction to JGHB testing, which is the uh, European Hunting Dog Association. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to take. I had to do that course. Then I went to Germany on three different trips. Uh, I had uh, three different tests that uh, I did. Three or four. Where I where I wrote reports on two dogs per test, mm-hmm. and uh, I did that over two events, and then the third one was when I went back for the uh, the live hunt, and to do my my judging on that. So overall, it took me about two and a half years to do it, mm-hmm. but uh, again, I got very lucky with my live chase, and and that typically is the hardest thing that most judges have to to go through. Right? Yeah, I can understand that. I can understand that. So. Tell us about the the test. Okay, you went through the judgeship. Now you're your judge. Now you're going to test two a, a dog. You're going to test two dogs for for the test process. So talk to us about that and tell us what um, what's required for them for you to say. Okay, I put my stamp of approval on this. Okay. Uh- so the dog has two preliminary things that it has to do. Uh, the Vorproofen is the preliminary test is what we're, we're going to talk about. But before they even do that, they have to show that they are not gun sensitive, which is we go out to a large field and uh, you've got a person off to the side with a hunting uh, rifle, a rifle of uh, hunting caliber. Mm-hmm. And the handler takes their dog out, and when the dog is not paying attention to them, away from them, uh, the two judges that are watching the dog will motion for the uh, shooter to fire, and uh, they'll fire in a safe manner, and they'll watch the dog. And what they're watching for is the dog's reaction. Does he cower and come back to the handler, Mm -hmm. or does he, oh, yeah, there's a shot, and go back to work? If they show that they are um, scared of the gun, that right there ends all testing. That dog will never be bred. That dog will never. It's a, and that is a one one chance. There's there's no second chance on that. Oh, wow. If the dog is gun sensitive, that is it. That is it. Uh, so dog is is good. Uh, most dogs will, you know. I mean, my dog will t- turn around and go towards the shot because he knows that the, the shot means there's something to fun to mess with. Um, so, you know, some of them will come back to him. Hey, you know, what was that? Can we go after it? But they're just looking for that dog. Will they cower down? Do they tuck tail? Do they come back to the handler looking for, for assurance? And as long as the dog does not do all that, they pass that. So do you, guys, the- do you guys get to, like, for me, I have to pass the same thing with, with our patrol side. But do you guys actually work that before the test? Yes. Yeah, okay. That's, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's done before the test because that's, you know, 
if there's no need to test if your dog right. can't get past. Well, yeah, so, that's kind of what my thought. I was like, well, if I knew my dog was going to cower, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even go test because there's no sense in it. Right. Well, there's some that show up that you know, and they, and there's a even if they you know it's mild or fine, you know, there's a score like a, a four or a six or a two and uh or or zero and as long as it's four or higher you know it, it meets the breeding standard you know six is is ideal mm-hmm. and so the that breed warden that i spoke of earlier he can look at all those numbers and, and use that to judge which dogs be used for breeding and you know which ones should be bred to who right so we get through with the gun sensitivity and the next thing that the dog has to show is that are they scent loud or sight loud and a bavarian uh, can be both. Um, most of them are sight loud, meaning when they see the animal, uh, they'll bark at them. Mm-hmm. And so we usually use a, uh, a boar, a wild boar, something like that, uh, in an area, an enclosed area, and we'll just work the dog through it. And when they see it, they'll start barking. As long as they do that and don't run from the animal, they're good. They're good on that portion. And so those are the two things before the, the actual test. So and, dog, and, pack, I'm sorry, go ahead. And both of those are like, so barking on the track or barking at sight, scent and sight mm-hmm. is allowed. Yes, okay. both are allowed. Okay. And I, I, I prefer, because of my tracking style and where I track, I prefer the, the silent Mm-hmm. Uh, because we're behind a lot of subdivisions and, and places like that. You've got these undeveloped uh, tracts of land that people are hunting. And the last thing that I want to do is draw attention to myself. Uh, so, so I prefer the, the quieter dog uh, mm-hmm. until we get to the animal. Yep. And so we've done that. So now we're going to actually start the test. And there's always three judges. And for us here in the United States, that means bringing in judges. Uh, I have a test the end of February uh, next year, and I'm bringing in uh, two judges to help myself with the actual tracking, and then I'm bringing in a breed warden to do a confirmation exam on all the dogs. Uh, So three judges, and so we start out, there's a 30 by 30 meter area, and the dog has 10 minutes to get out of that box, and in that box is a hit mark with a little bit of blood, hair, bone, whatever. And so what the handler does is works his dog in there and you're supposed to indicate the the hit spot. And then once you do that, you mark and you just, you start going out. But if you don't get out of that box in 10 minutes, your track is over. So, okay, and, good. Okay. Yeah. Um, I want to ask a question. Sorry. I got so many questions. This is no. just intriguing. So how do you, how does a, how do you call a hit? Like, how do you say, okay, right here's where it started. Is that because of the blood sight or is that the behavior change in the dog? Like, how do you determine, okay, this is the hit location as, as if I'm, if I'm testing. Okay. Well, usually they'll take a stick and, you know, like a bullet track in the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so there'll be a little bit of bone, a little bit of, uh, uh, like a, They'll just take a stick, kind of twist the ground like the animal took off I at that point, mm-hmm. and they'll have a, a, a track for the for the bullet track. And so you'll see some indication, but you have to work your dog around there to find that. And a lot of times as you're working through, if you'll pay attention to your dog, your dog will tell you which way the track goes off. 
because like when the judges come up and you're starting the track, they'll say, all right, we came up here. They'll tell a story. You know, hey, the deer, the deer was there. The, the animal was standing down there and I shot, but it was so brushy. I didn't see which way it went. And so that's the, that's how they're going to start you. And you go in there and you do your search. And once you find it, you mark, you just say hit site and you go on and you just keep tracking. Mm-hmm. And we'll, the judges will mark, you know, if it's correct or not. Uh, but, you know, once your dog starts working out, and like I said, well, as you're working that, a lot of times you'll pay attention. The dog will actually pick up the trail and want to work out the box. So if you want full points, the full points, you find the hit site. It's not required. I got you. Yeah. You just have to get out of that box on the right track in that 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Yep. So the track itself is a thousand meters and the first 400 meters are scent shoes and blood. The next 500 meters are scent shoes only. And the last hundred is scent shoes and blood. There will be two turns on the track with towards the end and that last hundred uh, meters, you'll have a wound bed. And so, you know, you're allowed uh, two callbacks to continue. So once you get more than about 100 meters away from the, the line, the judges will determine, are you, you know, is the dog kind of working parallel? So we're going to le- give them a little leniency to see if they come back or is the dog working just straight away? He's picked something up, and if we don't stop him, he's going to be out out of the county. So as long as you only get two callbacks, you can continue. Mm -hmm. Once you get your third callback, the track is over with, and you're done. Hmm. So so no callbacks is is you can get top scores. If you get one callback, each each time you you get a callback, your your score, the highest points you can get is, is reduced. So you get through the track, and the dog finds the the animal. We always have uh, an animal at the end of the track. Uh, in in Germany, it's it could be a, a boar, it could be a roe deer, uh, could be a a, a red uh, hind or something like that. But there's always an animal at the end. So the next part of the test is you're going to put the dog in a down stay with the animal, and it's going to be tied to a tree with a lead, whatever, but the dog has to be able to reach the animal. And what that simulates is in, you know, years past, you know, what they did with the dogs is they would leave them on the mountain with their animal, go down and get help and come back. And the dog's job was to protect that animal from poachers or, you know, predators of some sort. So what we're doing is simulating that to make sure that the dog doesn't go over and chew on the animal. So they're in a downstay for 10 minutes, and they have to stay there with the animal for, for that 10 minutes. When that 10 minutes is up, one of the judges, somebody that hasn't uh, been around the dog or something like that, will walk up towards the dog and the animal, and they will attempt to take the animal. Due to politics, we cannot call it guarding anymore, uh, which is <laughs> what the dog is actually doing. Right. Uh, but what we're doing is we're looking to see if the dog will protect the animal. And 
So if they, they, they stand up and they start growling and barking, that's top marks. If they sit there and just watch you with their eyes and, you know, they're not cowering away, but they're really paying you good attention, then, you know, that's the, the next marks down. If they cower away and don't even attempt to do anything with you taking the animals, that's a, a fail. I got you. And you and I had talked um, a while back when we were talking about the Hanoverian hound that we use, and we had talked about some of that, um, I, I don't want to say shyness, but when you and I talked, you know, and you started explaining this behavior and what the dog was used for, that would make complete sense why the dogs that we use are more of a one-person dog. They are very much a one-person dog. They get, they get. I mean, you know, if you've got a family and the dogs are, are always part of the family, but they're always bonded most to one person. Right. And their, their reserve with strangers, um, a little aloof, um, but not supposed to shy away, you know, not, not completely cower and go away. They're supposed to kind of be standoffish, right. but that's, that's just part of their nature, you know? And that standoffish is the perfect uh, definition of what I've seen. It's not. It's not shyness. It's not. Um, it's definitely not timidness. It's a standoff. And I, you're saying that, and that makes perfect sense to what I've seen with my interaction with them. Yeah. So perfect. I mean that. I mean that. That explains so much. And while we're on the topic of the Hanno, can you tell me? the difference in a Hanno and the Bavarian and what, what is the difference in? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The difference in Heath really is, is the, the Bavarians look very similar. It's just size. And the reason why they look similar is that the Hanoverians were used as one of the foundation breeds uh, when the Bavarians were developed in the early 1900s. Uh, the club itself was was founded in 1912 in Germany, and so it's uh, you know a little over you know 100 and you know 10 years old now. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, you know the it's, it's more or less size. You know the Hanos were used Hano Hanos were used for um, you know big running, and once the the feudal system, the kings and lords and, and, and stuff were that system went away and, and land started being broke up, they needed more tracking dogs. And so they looked for a lighter dog but wanted the nose. So the Hanno had the nose, and then they bred them with the Bracken dogs of Germany and developed this lighter boned, uh, more agile breed uh, for tracking. And what was the Bracken dog? I, I haven't heard that. I mean, I've heard that maybe one or two times over my 30 years of fooling with dogs. Yeah. Bracken, you know, it's hard to describe, I, you know, because they're not around anymore. Um, it, the theory is that they were more of kind of a, a, a German type cur dog, you know, a farm dog that was around, uh, not a lot of, of history on them. Uh, per se, uh, because they, they're, they're no longer around. Uh, but in general, it was kind of the farm country dog is, is what best I can tell. I got you. Yeah, I can see that. So 
You've got the test. The dog uh, passed. Well, Go ahead. Are you still got more on the test? Oh, oh yeah. There's a lot more to the test. All right. Well, tell <laughs> us. Tell us. All right. So, sorry. Right, so we did the downstay with the, with the animal. Then, and this is the part that took me the longest to to grasp. Why? Is they will actually take the dog and they want to see the dog walking on lead. How do they heal? And there's no talking to the dog. There's no nothing. So you walk in and out around trees and then they'll have, bring you back and they'll tell you to release the dog and they'll, they'll want the recall. And so I was like, why is this part of the official test when you're looking for a tracking dog? And so it was finally explained to me that if they don't test for the brain of the dog, also the trainability then all you end up with a, was, is a big running no, a big running dog with a nose mm. that it can't be trained. And so they're wanting, they're looking for a dog that's trainable also. So that's part of their test is, is that, you know, how is the dog recall good? Does he heal good? Does he mind good? Because that's showing that that dog is trainable. Got so, some sense about him. Yeah. Right. Right. If not, you know, you know, I, you know, I, a lot of your, your listeners, you know, red bones, blue tick, stuff like that. You think about a hard headed hound that's, you know, a big runner with a nose on them. You know, that's what a lot of people have. And, and so if you want that dog that's obedient, you, you've got to have something that's trainable and that's what they were looking for. And then the last part of the test is the downstate of the gunshot because a lot of these dogs, uh, the way they're used in Germany is by the forester. And so he's out on a stalk and he sees an animal. He puts the dog in a downstay and leaves the dog and goes and does the hunt and he fires the shot. And what the last thing you want is the dog running in mm. when the animal may not be quite dead yet, running them off or if they're wounded, chasing them. So the dog has to stay down for 10 minutes with when the shot is with you out of sight. So you put the dog down, stay, you go out of sight, fire the rifle. The dog stays in a down stay for 10 minutes. You come back. And at that point, the test is complete. And, that, and you pass it. So how many, let's say that I got through three quarters of the test and my dog. Okay. Let's say my dog broke on the, um, with the person, I know you said it failed. Do how many opportunities do I get, or is it a one time and done? The, the only thing that's a one time and done is the gun sensitivity. The first everything one. Else, right, everything else can be taken. Um, I believe they give three shots. Is there a know. period of time for the three shots? Uh, I mean, the three shots mean three opportunities to take it. Um, mm. uh, overall, I'm not. I'm, I've never come across that because they've always already passed. The only thing that can be done. So you go through the whole test and the downstay to the shot when the hunter walks away and makes the shot. Uh -huh. if, the, if the dog gets up, that portion of the test can be retaken within one year, within the, within the calendar year. Just the downstay. That's it. Just the downstay. Yep. And if that portion, if they pass that portion, then they are, they're good. They, that they, everything else counts, all the other scores for the other portion of the test. That's the only part 
individually that can be retaken. Any other portion of it that fails, you have to take the whole test over again. Mm. Well, yeah, our, ours is similar. Um, you get three chances. Um, it's over a 30-day period. If you, if you failed certification today, um, you could try again tomorrow. And if you fail tomorrow, then you've got 30 days to go back and do your, your training, whatever it is. And then if you don't pass it in, then you're just not in service. You're, you're done. So that it's kind of, it's very similar, um, with some of the setup over it. Um, you're, yeah. you're tested a little different, but it's, it, in a lot of ways, it's got a lot of the same parts to it. Yeah. And so like for certification, so here in the United States, you don't have to have a certified dog to track, you know, my, I'm, I'm what, you know, COVID hit, we, you know, we haven't had judges over here. I haven't been able to test my young dog. Uh, he's three, but, you know, I've been tracking with him. I tracked all season with him last year. In Germany, you have to be certified. You have to be a certified tracker. You have to have a certified dog to, to go out and track for, for others. Is there's the same, like, so in the law enforcement side, their pH, you know, they do the pH one titles and stuff. They won't even put a dog in service till three on my end. Is that, sound similar to yours or will they put a dog in service earlier if it does pass that test they can put it in service earlier i tested a dog at eight months old he ended up failing wow. uh, uh and it was a, a sad situation because he had a lot of people it was a forester he had a lot of people there he had the the regional forester there to watch him all this other stuff and his dog failed uh, but I have seen some dogs at that, that one year mark that passed with, with no problem at all. And once those dogs are, once those dogs are done through the test, they're, they're certified for the preliminary. Now their certification is preliminary. Plus they have to do the natural test, which is on a live track and that's their full, full certification. And is this a one-time certification or is this yearly or is there a time frame? No, it's a one-time certification. And so they, they, you know, because again, they're, they're looking for that track and you may get the calls and that's what that preliminary test allows you to take some, some calls and take some tracks, but you may not always be able to have a judge available to go with you. And so until you have that judge go with you that can do the evaluation on the natural track, you're not fully qualified. I, I got you. Yeah. But again, you can, like I said, you can still track. And I mean, you know, the not United States and I, I, I'm not up to date with your world and uh, with what y'all do, but I mean, it makes sense that you can track and, the only thing you couldn't do not being certified would be breed, correct? The, the full, you know, so here in the United States, I'm the only judge mm -hmm. and we've got people from Oklahoma, Arizona, you know, Michigan, New York, you know, I mean, all over the place. There's only about 35 of us in the club. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been slowly growing uh, again, just trying to make sure that we do right by the breed. So it's hard for me. I can't, go to these locations during hunting season and be with these guys for a track to, to do the natural test. Mm -hmm. So a Germany has allowed us to do the preliminary test as a, a breed qualifier. And as long as okay. we, right. as long as the dog meets the confirmation, it passes the Wolfproof and the preliminary test. It meets all the breed standards there. 
then they will allow us to, to use the dog for breeding. So when you decide to make a cross, who, because I know that you had talked to, we had talked about there being like a panel or, um, or you said maybe the breed master, is that what you called him? The breed warden, we'll, breed we'll say we've got it. See, we don't breed unless we have enough members that mm-hmm. want a dog. So we're not breeding we're not breeding and producing pups to sell them. Mm-hmm. We're breeding to produce pups to meet a need. Correct. And so we've got enough guys that want uh, puppies. We'll let the breed warden know. What he'll do is he'll look at the breedings that we've had. He'll look at the dogs that we have that are certified. And he'll say, all right, these are the crosses that will work and won't produce too much of one bloodline of to interfere with what you already have. Cause like, so even in Germany, they're considered a rare breed. As far as the club goes, there's, uh, they're only producing a little over a hundred pups a year. Um, so they have to be very careful not to produce, uh, too many pups with one bloodline to keep the genetics uh, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, and so what, I guess another question I would have is, okay, so you don't breed unless there's a need. I get, and I'm, completely think that is a quality um, that we should all be instilling in our breeding program. Uh, We shouldn't be breeding just to be breeding. Um, For me, what happens if you, let's say that you don't, you don't, there's 35 members here in, in the state side and you only have, you know, you got everybody got 35 dogs or whatever. What happens when, they get too old and then you can't produce one for you. Or is is that a, is that a thing that can happen or is that not going to happen because the variety of the ages? Well, I mean, the good thing is, is being that we are part of the German club. I mean, we are an official group of the German club. If we need dogs, uh, like my older male that I have now, he was imported from Germany. Uh, We always have that option that we can import different bloodlines. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have bloodlines from Slovakia, Austria, uh, Germany. Uh, I think we've got Norway. So we have a, a variety of bloodlines uh, available to us. And, you know, the biggest, our biggest hurdle has been COVID the last couple of years. We've been needing to test mm-hmm. uh, so that we can get some of these dogs certified. I've got 18 dogs that we're going to test uh, in February. And when we do that, we should be set for, for quite a few years. It's more, it's more finding people that are willing to accept the, the standards that we have set forward, or, or not, I won't say us, it's the standards that the German club has set forth mm-hmm. uh, for us um, and not doing breeding when they, they're not supposed to, testing like they're supposed to, you know, understanding that if there's health issues, you don't breed, uh, you know, whatever. But, you know, that is the hardest thing because this is a, a new breed to the country uh, relative, you know, 25 years or so. And there are some out there that are breeding for the money because they know that they can get a good price on them. And they're not testing. They're not health checks. They're just trying to get as many pups out there as they can 
to make the money. And again, that's not where we're at. We're trying to improve the breed. So finding the right people to understand that understand that that want to join the club has been our biggest struggle. Uh, and the fact that some people want dogs now, and I can't guarantee that. I can, you know we've had some guys that join the club and they get a dog within six months, and we've had some guys that took them three or four years to get a dog. Um, it's just you know finding those right people that that want to work with us to improve the breed. That's what we're looking for. Yeah, I think if it was me, I'd be prepared to wait to get the best possible pros- prospect I could get if it was me. Um, <clears throat> but again, I completely understand what you're saying because the law enforcement field is getting um, these the those, with a Hanno, and I'm not saying that there's not Bavarian, the, the Bavarian out there because there probably are, but... Um, some of the ones that I've seen do not fit the bill um, for us. So I can say those are guaranteed those ones that are not been tested and vetted like the guy, the ones you guys are doing. He's very much so. I mean, there are over the years I've seen guys, one male, two females, and they're producing pups just as fast as they can produce them and sell them because it's the new hottest thing out there. And everybody wants one. Uh, you know, they're not testing for health. They're not testing for the hips. Uh, they're not testing for, they're not saying anything if they have epilepsy. Uh, uh, there's potentially one producing now that has Addison's disease. Wow. Uh, and, right. And so they're not telling anybody this. And they're line breeding, they're, they're producing all these pups. Well, for the longest time, there was no uh, pedigrees for them. Uh, and now they're into the UKC, and I think AKC may be uh, accepting them now also. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, you got one, I got one. We have no idea what the bloodlines are. You know, two or three, you know, breedings down line and come to find out they're, they're related. And so, you know, that's the important part of, being part of the group, being part of the, the, the breeding uh, program is we've got a breed warden that can look at all this. Uh, you know, just an example, we had one of our guys found what appeared to be a, a very good, well-bred dog in Slovakia. And we were, he was thinking about important. So we reached out to the breed warden in Germany and he reached out to his counterpart. And the guy looked at the pedigree and went, nope. What do you mean? He says, the dog they use for this breeding is right here laying at my lap. He says, and I haven't used him for breeding. You know, you never, people can make slick websites and mm-hmm. you don't have the connections and the understanding. You're, there's no guarantee what you're getting. And so this person was trying to, to sell a dog, sell a litter of pups that were completely falsified. And um, that has happened over and over and there's no telling what those breedings are and you know some of those dogs have made it over here and they're in the that that gene pool was used for breeding and so you know that's you know that's always going to occur there's money and everything and if people think they can make a dollar they're going to go after it uh again you know we're trying to better the dog i mean in germany well for this the breeding program you're not allowed to breed for hips if they're uh it has to be an a and an a or an a and a b hip 
never a B and a B or less. And the reason being is, is um, around the fall of the Soviet Union, when the Eastern Bloc fell, all of a sudden you had all these dogs from East Germany that went, oh, hey, let's let's breed. You know, y'all got dogs and let's 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 mix the gen uh, genetics up because, the, you know, we've been concentrated for so long. Well, the problem was is that East Germany had uh, hip dysplasia and it became a problem. And so G the German club said, no, here, here's how strict we're going to be. And they had more or less wiped out hip dysplasia in the breed just by being that strict. And if you don't have those standards and people are just breeding to make money, then, you know, you're going to have these issues eventually. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I really like the, the process. I like the testing. I wish that was, you know, you're not going to get all the houndsmen behind that for whatever reasons, but I understand the importance of it because of the law enforcement side. And, um, you know, if the dog, if my dog can't meet a, a set of standards, then he's, I can't use him. I mean, I just can't use him and we don't breed on the law enforcement side, we don't breed our own dogs, really. We, we're importing most of the time. Um, and when we import, we're usually getting third or fourth pick. We're not getting the first or second pick because that's what the, the Europeans pick those out and keep them for themselves. But when we're getting dogs from those first picks, second picks, you know, we get pretty good solid dogs. So I completely understand it. Like, I... I, I am a proponent of it. I should do better myself after listening to, you know, what you're saying. Um, so just to make sure that I understand. So if you decide to breed in the United States, you have to go through the breed warden in Germany. That, that's correct. Okay. Yep. We, let it, we let them know that we've got enough members that we want to breed. He looks at what dogs we have that are tested and looks at the bloodlines, looks, looks at the test scores, looks at the confirmations, uh, looks at the inbreed coefficient, looks at the genetics and says, you know what, these two breedings look the best. Mm -hmm. And at that point, and so, you know, one other thing about the breeding, we're never allowed, uh, you're only allowed to breed an animal twice, a dog twice, oh. and you're never allowed, and you're never allowed to breed more than one time to the same pairing and you know that's that's again to keep the because the gene pool is so small as to make sure that no one gene uh gets out there too much if it's deemed and if, if everything's so perfect and the dogs are like you know super super the breed warden can't approve a third breeding uh, but that's a rarity so all right let's go back to the to the you're you're never crossing the same cross twice. I get that. And if you breed male A to female B and female C, is that something? Do you, do they like to get that? Will they line breed, or they completely outcross each time? With what you're telling me, sounds like outcrossing. It's an outcross each time. So how do they how do they combat the diversity that they get? That's see, that's the great part. They're not looking for a you know real tight um standard. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got this range, they're looking for the overall workability of the dog. 
they're looking for the overall dog, not a set standard that it has to be, you know, one inch height, you know, here or there, or it has to be this on weight or, you know, exactly the nose has to be this or the, the ears have to, can't go past, you know, here or they're looking for a range. And so what happens is, is they, they, you get that diversity, but you, every, every one of those dogs has the same work ability. Right. No, I mean, I, I get it. I just, in my mind, I'm trying to, you know, play things out how, how I see them, which is, you know, like I said, it's different. It's a different view. It's a, it's a, it's a strong foundation um, that they have maintained for hundred, what, hundreds of years, hundred years, hundreds of years. Hundred and uh, ten years, yes. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. I mean, it's really, that's a really good thing. It's, I mean, I just, you know, listening to this just reiterates how I feel, even though I don't live by that code, which is a bad thing to say, but I understand it and see the need and the purpose for it. Um, anything else you want to tell us about, about the hound itself, anything that we've left out or the listeners may um, find is, is interesting or just in general. In general, he, you know, I think a, a lot of people uh, look at them and uh, they look at the temperament and they want say, hey, I want one of those dogs as a pet. You know, they look so, you know, so cool and all that kind of stuff. I'll say they make a great pet. But then at the same time, I'll say they make a terrible pet. And the reason I say that is if they, if you just have them as a pet, they're going to go crazy. They're going to destroy things. They're going to drive you <laughs> insane with the energy they are a working dog yep they they need a job they need something to stimulate their brain and you know that's working and so yes my dogs are in the house my dogs you know when i go to work they they go in the kennel if it's too hot they're in the house uh, on their comfy beds but when it comes to work they're all work and all business and so you know just don't think you're going to get one of these dogs and, and, and keep it in the house and, and, and keep it as a pet because it's a cool thing uh, because they will destroy things. I can't tell you how many times I have had to fill holes in because of mouse, you know, they dug holes in the pasture chasing a mole or mm-hmm. a lizard or, you know, what they want something to do. So, you know, you have to work them. Yeah. Second of all, you know, I would say, you know, if you're thinking about a Bavarian, and you like what you hear, you think that it's something you can stand by, uh, reach out to me. I mean, you know, we have a Facebook page. Uh, we're, since we're so far scattered across the country, uh, most of our guys uh, just contact each other on Facebook. We have certain areas that have concentrated groups. Uh, we'll try to get you with one of those guys. If you want to see the dogs work, talk to somebody, we can put you in touch with that. Uh, we do membership in uh November. And, uh, you know, we would love to have more people that want to protect the breed. Uh, we would rather you come to us and learn about the breed and help us to, you know, keep the diversity, keep the genetics, uh, strong here in the United States. Uh, you know, because it's, we can't do it with a small number like this. We've got to, to have more members, but we also, we're not going to just let somebody 
have one of these dogs that, well, I'm going to, you know, once I get it, I'm going to do what I want to do. No, that's not the person we're looking for. We're looking for the person that understands what our goal is, and that's to protect and better the breed. Yep. Um, you said something there that I wanted to ask about. How, what is, how can they reach out to you? Did you, did I miss your, your Facebook page name so they can look at it? Uh, it's uh, KVGS or uh, Group North America. KBGS Group North America, mm-hmm. and uh, they can also reach out to me at uh, Hill at Kennels uh, on Facebook. And they can go through either one of those. Uh, so it's Club for Barakshah Gavar Swaisund is is the German <laughs> name, and I and my and my German friends will probably say you just butchered, butchered that. that. <laughs> uh, but but if, if you'll look up if you'll look up. Um, KVGS, um, and you'll start finding us, or if you'll find me on Hillock Kennels, I can point you the right way. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, you, you know, the guys listening, if, if you're interested in blood tracking, you know, reach out to Ken. And like I said, it's so, like I said, we use the, the, the Hanos and what we do. And, I mean, I see, you know, the qualities of, of what you're saying. And I, I can't even tell you, well, I do know where it come from, I won't say. It come from your state. Um, but, I mean, it, there's so many similarities from what you're saying and what I see in, in the dog that we're using. Um, you've actually taught me a few things in the behavioral characteristics that I have seen in this dog. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm glad that you were able to come on and talk to us and teach us about the Bavarian, you know, Deer hunting again is is, and I mean I'm assuming that's what you use it for the most, correct? Uh, we have guys that track bear and moose and elk, mm-hmm. uh, hog. I mean, so they're they're gritty enough that they'll take on uh, just about anything. Uh, but mostly, yes, mostly deer. white tailed deer. Yeah. So I mean, you know that industry is huge, and I know, like I said, I see a lot of people getting into the the blood tracking and the the antler. Um, shed antler searching so i mean this is i mean this is great ken i really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about this and tell us about the testing process and you know the breed master is um very interesting to me and how that works and i wish that that us as americans because i see it when we're testing dogs in europe and i see the 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 strict um, rules and regulations that they follow when it comes to to ant to the to the hound or dog world that we are very lax, and I feel like if we would tighten up on some of the things we we do, we would be producing a better quality hound. I can agree. Yep. So, can, anything else you want to touch t- test touch on talk about? Uh, no, Heath, that's all. I appreciate you having me on and uh, let me talk about uh, uh, something that I'm very passionate about. Yeah, well, we're glad to have you on. And, Ken, at the end of every show, we um, we have a little saying. It's uh, thank you for helping us find a way to teach, train, and learn. 